Martin Luther wrote a letter to a Philip Melanchthon in the year of 1521 where he said, God does not save people who are only fictitious sinners. Be a sinner and sin boldly. But believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. For he is victorious over sin, death, and the world. As long as we are in this world, we have to sin. This life is not the dwelling place of righteousness, but, as Peter says, we look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It is enough that by the riches of God's glory we have come to know the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. No sin will separate us from the Lamb, even though we commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day. I obtained this quote from theologyandchurch.com. This quote doesn't sit well with me, and I hope it doesn't sit well with you either. How can Luther give such allowance for sin? Fortunately for you, we discussed this idea and much more on today's episode. Thanks for tuning in to Conversations with Scripture, where we talk about the Word of God and we let His Word talk to us. say welcome back do i say welcome back well I've, i guess i've only said that one other time because we've only had two episodes <clears throat> welcome back for another episode of conversations with scripture unfortunately our third musketeer drew mains is not with us today he is at a men's conference and is doing his best to serve and uh, tear down and, and such. So we don't hate him too much for not being here, but uh, not, not too much. No, not too much. We're going to just continue on with me and Elijah, and we're going to dig into Romans 2, and we're going to see how it goes. I'm going to start off um, – as Elijah and I were talking, we were saying that we're going to kind of split up the, the chapter. Um, but I'm going to split up my section probably a lot because I just I just want to stop and and talk about something whenever I read something. So uh, I'm going to stop after the first verse. Ro- wow, okay, here we go. <laughs> Romans <laughs> chapter 2. Verse 1, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. Mm. All right. That is a rebuke from Paul, if I've ever heard one. Yeah, that's a, that's a straight up backhand across the face to the listeners there. You're judging other people, but you're doing the same thing. Mm. And that, that initially, as I read this a few weeks ago, and then I just read it this morning, the same thing came to mind, the image of the Pharisees 
casting stones at the woman caught in adultery. Oh, that's good. They have her surrounded and uh, they're ready, stone in hand, to, to stone her, to kill her, to end her life for the sin that she committed. And then Jesus steps in and says, how about only those who have never sinned? You cast the stone. And of course, all the Pharisees dropped their stones left. They couldn't, they couldn't cast the stones because they had fallen short too. And so here, I think that's a brilliant idea of the new covenant of grace in this New Testament world where the law and we see, I feel like we see some, I don't know, I'm not super uh, thorough in my theological uh, explanation of all this stuff, but we see some crossover, some blurring of the change of maybe dispensations, you could say, between the Old Testament and the New, where Jesus is bringing in the idea of the New Testament grace into the, the Old Testament world before he had died, before he had risen again and ushered in this new New Testament church. Here is Jesus saying, this is how things are going to be now, because this is the spirit of the law. You took the word of the law and you were legalistic about the law. And you, you saw that this is what the law says. So this is what we're going to do. But if the law doesn't say something, we're going to feel free and liberated to do that such thing. Jesus says, no, you got to know the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is these things are sinful and these things are not pleasing to me. But these things, uh, things of righteousness, they are pleasing to me. The law is just there to show you what is what is wrong to lead you to repentance, but you've made it a tool of condemnation and, and conviction. And so Jesus keeps them from th throwing those stones and uh, saves that woman's life. And such is his work in our lives. We should have been condemned, judged for the sins that we have committed. Yet in the grace and mercy of the Lord, he stayed that judgment and uh, saved us. It's amazing. I, I really enjoyed one of the points you made just now about the, the spirit of the law versus the, word, the, the letter of the law. And it made me think about how the Jews could only use what God had spoken to Moses. They didn't know any better. They didn't uh, understand how to act other than the law that had been given to the T. And that's what it even says, you know, just follow these commandments and you'll be pleasing to God. 
And I, Paul talks about it here in chapter two. So we're going to get to this. But I just think it's, it's so interesting that God would set up a system that was so easy to fall into legalism because of the strictness, because of the very detailed, you know, if, if you're reading a Bible plan to read the Bible through the year, you are quickly finishing up Deuteronomy right now, um, going into Joshua. And so you, you, we're all familiar to, I've, I've been doing it uh, with my wife and we're very familiar with all of these laws. We just got through Leviticus. We just got through numbers and in Deuteronomy, they call it the second law because it basically repeats from chapter 10 to like chapter 28, basically all of the law that was from Leviticus and numbers. So you get, you get quite the dose of law. Mm. Um, it's the Pentateuch. What do you expect? Yeah. Um, and I, the only thing I could think of was just how specific it was. And for them, it was necessary because they were a stiff necked people. But with God changing our hearts through the repentance and baptism in Jesus name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which truly changes us, God can work through a different set of rules where it's not about the letter, but it's about the spirit, like you were saying. Um, so I find that so fascinating uh, how how God worked that out. He, he set it up at first so that he could perfect it later. It's it's almost like God knows what he's doing, right? Almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he does know what he's doing. Of course. Yeah. Well, I I'll read the next few verses. And we'll continue on. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immorality, Immortality, rather, totally different than immorality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. I better stop there and backtrack a little bit. So, Paul here coming off that idea of you judge but you can be judged to that same standard and be found guilty so god has true judgment we judge in our humanity 
according to how we see things to be. And, and we have the law to guide us in our judgment. But we're fallible still in our humanity. But this chapter, Paul is reassuring us that God does not judge like we judge. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Not only can we uh, be confident in the judgment of God as righteous people, as he further says in, in this chapter, uh, we will get what we deserve. And those who have been justified, sanctified by the Lord, they'll get their due judgment, and they will they will get their honor and immortality and glory. But do not be deceived because those who are unrighteous, those who sin, those who by uh, those who are contentious and do not obey the truth, there will be tribulation and anguish. There will be judgment. And this sometimes seems like a like a fundamentalist teaching in the sense of it's just an old school teaching that, you know, hell, we can put hell away because as a, lo a loving God would not judge those, he would love everyone. Here's the deal. He's true in his justice. And he does not. He does not lower his justice because you think he, he does. Because our humanity has become soft. He does not lower his judgment. He will judge according as he sees fit. And that should scare that should put fear into our soul. Yeah. And then we Absolutely. can start to be wise. I, I want to point out that God will uh, judge according to what he thinks is right, regardless of whether or not you're a Republican or a Democrat, regardless of whether you um, are charismatic or super fundamentalist, um, what some would call backward Christian that only preaches hell and uh, brimstone. Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you believe is right or wrong. He's going to, he's going to judge. Yeah. There's, it's, there's, there's connotations to certain viewpoints. Uh, yeah. That guy's just a fundamentalist. Yeah. Don't, it doesn't matter what label you put on it. Look at the word of God. And what does the word say? The word says that God is going to judge those who are contentious and do not obey the truth. That's what it says. And it's not like, and it's not like we are trying to create apologetics for fundamentalism. No, it's, we're just reading the Bible yeah. and this is what it says. I, I see it so often. And I know that we're trying to just read the Bible and not get into current events or anything. Um, but I think it goes along that in so many situations today, definitions are very, very pliable. Mm -hmm. um, 
you can bend them, you can flex them. And if it doesn't match up to what you want, then, you know, just wiggle it around a little bit. And I'm sure you can figure a way to fit your belief system into it, your worldview into yeah. it. Um, God's going to judge according to how God's going to judge. Yeah. That's it. And you can, you can try to work your way into believing you can eisegete, put your meaning into the text, or you can try your yeah. best to, to look at it with humility and say, I better apply the word to my life or else I'm in, in a position that I could be judged. And that is a, right. that's a situation that we don't want to, to be in. I think Drew talked about it in our uh, first episode, I think, or no, it was the second episode, that last verse of Romans one, where he talked about, um, or no, unmerciful people being unmerciful. And I think he, he talked about people being unmerciful to each other, but I think we're also a little unmerciful with um, the Bible as well. You know, and we don't, we don't allow it to speak to our lives like we should, like you said, with humility and to come at it saying with come at it being a blank, blank slate. I think that's yeah. so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk a, a little bit about a few points that I noted <clears throat> in my study. Verse four uh, in this chapter, I, I found in a commentary by David Guzik. I don't know much about him, but uh, his commentary is on the Blue Letter Bible. And as far as the commentaries on that, on that, website he's probably the one that i go to the most because i i tend to get the most out of his commentary but verse four it says despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering not knowing that the goodness of god leadeth to repentance so it's the the goodness of god that leads us to repentance That's an interesting thought. We're talking about mm-hmm. the judgment of God, but but here is Paul saying that judgment is not always going to come immediately. But what is it for? It's to give you an opportunity to repent. And so uh, I thought it was interesting. David Guzik said, Goodness may be considered God's kindness to us in in regard to our past sin. We've sinned in the past. God has been good. Uh, Forbearance, our present sin, and a long-suffering future sin. I don't know if that is technically what these uh, terms mean, but it's it's a a way to to think about it. Uh, God knows, I believe, our past sin, our present sin, our future sin. And so in his sovereignty and in his power, he has given us an opportunity to come to him. He could have opened up the earth like he did the sons of Korah and swallowed us up. He could have. uh, We have surely offered strange fire to the Lord at some point. 
in our own way. He could have given judgment to us right there, but he has been good and long suffering to us and has given us the opportunity in, in our great and his grace and forgiveness to come back to him. And that's a wonderful thing. But uh, sometimes we definitely use that as liberty to sin. I think of uh, Pharaoh during the Exodus, the whole Passover ordeal. He's being uh, asked by Moses to let his people go. Um, And he's saying no. So God uh, makes a plague to come upon the land of Egypt. There's turmoil, uh, hardship. So Pharaoh, uh, sometimes it doesn't do much. But towards the end, he's like, okay, do whatever you have to do. But then his heart is hardened again because he decides he still wants to do what he wants to do. And so in that time of lack of the plague, he says, Moses, do whatever you have to do to stop this plague. This plague stops. Pharaoh's like, okay, I don't care what I just said. You're still staying here. <laughs> it's like, nah, you're, you're, you're staying. Yeah. You're staying. <laughs> but that's how we are. That's how uh, the Hebrew people were. And throughout the former prophets, we say yeah. one thing. God is merciful and forgiving to us. And we turn around and do that again. Yep. They did it in the wilderness. They did it in Judges. They did it with the former prophets. And we do it today. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's human nature, I, I suppose. The, the nature of sin within humans. Mm-hmm. To just be so... Uh, the term that comes to my mind is just wishy-washy, you know, they back and forth right. fickle with their promises. It's uh, unfortunate <laughs> on our, on our side. It's unfortunate, yeah. but thank God that he gives us another chance. Right. Right. Continuing on verse, uh, verse eight. I thought I found something interesting. The word contentious there. I looked that up in the Greek and I'm not, I know a little bit more about Hebrew than I do Greek. I don't know a whole lot about Greek, but um, I believe you could pronounce this word, erythias, erythias, eis, erythias, something like that. And it, it basically means electioneering for an office or self promoting. So these people who are contentious, at least in uh, the dictionary that I saw, that means they don't care about the unity of the the body of Christ. They're just trying to promote themselves. And that is a serious uh, rebuke and check on our intentions and our heart. God, help us not to be so concerned with ourselves in our position, in our glorification of our our situation, that we do not see uh, you for w- what you desire and, and pursue righteousness. 
that brings up a really good point. Where in uh, Acts 7, that's the defense of Stephen. The, the folks that were appointed to take care of the widows. Mm-hmm. One of them is Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And later in the epistles, it's talked about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, I think is something along those lines. But Nicholas, somewhere along the lines, must have been contentious. Because at first, he was just a keeper of widows. You know, I don't know. There's probably a lot of folks out there um, that would enjoy hanging out with some old folks. I know my mom loves to hang out with old people. She would probably Mm -hmm. enjoy that job. Um, Nicholas probably didn't, I can imagine. Because he got to the point where he was promoting heresies and had brung other people from the faith to himself so that it was called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Mm. He had his own people group at this point. They weren't Christians. They were Nicolaitans. Mm. He's, I feel like he's a perfect example of this, um, of this contention of, of self-promoting and what happened uh, to the Nicolaitans, I believe it's in, uh, I could be completely off base here. I think it might be in Revelation where it talks about judgment being poured out upon the people that believe in Nicholas's doctrine. Mm-hmm. There's judgment for the Nicolaitans. It, it was almost prophesied here in Romans about what would happen there. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think that's, that's almost a, a real life story there of what, it, what verse eight means. Yeah, it's good. Uh, something that's just cool to note that I picked up on before I read the rest of this uh, section and we finish this out. There is parallelism that's going on here. Starting in uh, verse 7, ending in verse 10. It says, uh, to them who are patient, continuant, uh, who by patient continuance uh, seek for glory and honor and immortality. That's line A. Then the next verse, uh, but unto them that are contentious, do not obey the truth. That's a bad thing. That's line B. Verse nine says tribulation, anguish. That's the result of verse eight. So that's the second line B. And then in verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good. That is the resolve to verse seven, line A. So. That's just an interesting thing to note. That's how a lot of Hebrew writers wrote uh, parallelism. It's cool to pick up on. Uh, just thought I'd share that. That is that is neat. I really like that. Yeah, for whatever reason, they don't. They they will start off with one idea, go to the next idea, resolve that idea, and then go back to the first idea and and resolve that. So. You know, somebody needs to hear that because. I'm sure there's people that this format of literature probably is so confusing. Yeah. And honestly, Jordan, I didn't even notice that that was there. And it, I mean, I understood what Paul was saying, but when you see 
the the literary style, I feel like it just really brings it to life. So I learned something today. <laughs> well, <clears throat> why don't we finish this? I'll read from all, 11 to 16, 12? right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm at 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness and their thoughts, the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Hmm. So here we see what I would consider the, the second or the main theme uh, of what a lot of people think of when they think of Romans 2. Romans 1, the idea of general revelation. God, his, his uh, what, what do they say? God's book of creation. Where we see the, the nature of God revealed through his creation. It should bring us to some sort of faith idea in God. Romans 2, though, is saying not only is there that book of creation, that general revelation, but there's also the conscience. Every person has a conscience. Everyone has that thing that, that tells them that what they're doing is, is wrong or right. And we are judged by that as as paul says you got anything to say about that i have a question okay it says verse 14 for when the gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law these having not the law are a law unto themselves and then that next phrase which show the work of the law written in their hearts all humanity is sinful we're born into sin so this hypothetical situation that i'm going to bring before you that i want your thoughts on is absolutely not possible in any way shape or form and i don't want anyone who listens to this to think that i actually think this could be a possibility so now that i have prefaced Somewhere, someone who has never heard about the name of Jesus, who does right for their entire life, do you think that God would give them salvation based on just the work of their conscience? What do you think? See, that's that's an interesting question. You're going to get me in trouble. It's loaded, man. It, and that's why I wanted to preface like this will not happen. Yeah. It never happened. <laughs> I think I'm going to I'll answer I'll answer what I think. 
and it's my opinion and I don't want anyone to to think anything that I don't want you to be I don't know exactly how to say this but uh, again this is a hypothetical so this is I not I won't call you a heretic I promise this is not possible um I actually had a conversation similar to this with my wife because I've been thinking about this this chapter this concept of the conscience um <clears throat> I personally don't think we are judged by someone else, someone else's sin. I think we are, we're judged only by our sin. So we see original sin, the idea of Adam and Eve in the garden. They sin. God curses humanity. Now we have this sinful flesh um, that has the natural proclivity to do sin. So we all fall short, but it is not, it's my personal opinion that we don't even have to do the hypothetical of, of, uh, I just lost my train of thought. So I'll backtrack a little bit. We're all, we have this natural tendency to sin because of the curse, the fall of man. But uh, I don't think we are condemned to hell simply because Adam sinned, simply because Eve sinned. I don't think it would be good of God to judge me for something that someone else did. I think God judges everyone based off of their own sin, based off of their own actions. So hypothetically, if someone were faultless, I don't know if they would be saved, but I don't know if they would be condemned either. I don't know. Yeah. And I think I came to the same conclusion as you, where really the only honest answer is that, well, I'm glad I'm not the judge in that case. Right. Um, <laughs> because it, it, if it was up to me, then uh, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. I'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but what I thought about this was that God really allowed and created humanity to be uh, innocent until proven guilty. Unfortunately, like you said, it is a hundred percent of the time that we are guilty, but God made it so that we, there was even the slightest chance. And even though it's, it is impossible, God made us so that we could be perfect. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's something to that, that if we have the ability to live a pure and righteous life um, and have a, a clean conscience and what it says to show their, the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, 
it's possible Mm -hmm. through the power of the Holy ghost working in our lives. It is a hundred percent possible, just as possible as it is that we are sinful man. It is possible to live righteously and to live in a way that is pleasing to God, regardless of the way the world is today, regardless of how, um, active the work of satan is in the world we can do it we absolutely can it yeah just quickly there are two things that i think stem off of that uh that sort of understanding that god judges people based on their own sin is how i rectify my understanding of the age of, of accountability i personally believe there is the age of accountability where the conscience has not been fully developed. And so an individual cannot be judged based off of their conscience because as a young child, they don't have that developed in them. That's just personally my opinion. Um, And you can comment on that. You don't have to comment on that. I think science backs that up. Yeah. You know, there there's studies that, um, that we learned about in our psychology course at IBC um, where they talked about the, the age of the brain and what starts to activate as you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a three-year-old it may not have the ability to make the conscious decision to serve God. Right. A two-year-old probably doesn't at all. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it's I would say that's a hundred percent right. I don't think we should go around trying to define what the age of accountability is. Yeah, but it's definitely personal. I think in a pastoral way, if someone is mourning the loss of their child, I think that's something that they can cling to. That we don't know how God judges based on the mind of a child or someone right. with special needs. <clears throat> right. So yeah, that's a, that's a big deal today. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, but I also want to say you were talking about, uh, you can live a perfect life and, um, just something that is, has, it's, it's on my mind be, as it, it has been for a few years. There's so much language of, uh, allowance for sin in our pulpits in the sense of, you know, we're not perfect. We're all, we're all sinners. You, you will sin again. And that's just something I don't think I have a right to say. I don't think Paul anywhere, as far as I know, someone can prove me wrong, but As far as I know, I don't know anywhere where Paul says something like, you are probably going to sin again. But he always commands, do not sin, live righteously, live according to God's will. So we we should, my personal opinion as a preacher, we should say, you have the opportunity for grace and mercy. And if you have sinned and you have fallen short, Go before the throne of God, ask his forgiveness, repent of your sins, turn around and walk 
and the freeness of the salvation that God grants you. But I'm not going to say, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. As Christians, we should be serious about holiness, righteousness from the moment of conversion, living our life according to God's will and perfect will and plan. And so, uh, I just don't like, I don't like that idea of, uh, getting behind a, a pulpit and saying, you know, we're all sinners. We're, you know, you're probably going to sin tomorrow. Ah, I, I believe that someone can truly live a day without sin through the power of the Holy spirit working. I think there's many that do. And maybe that's just because I believe my great grandfather was, or my great, great grandfather was a Methodist preacher, but maybe that's something residual from the holiness church and that's been passed down through the generations of preachers of my life. Personally, I think it's possible. I don't think we should tell people that they are going to sin because. What's the hope in that? Yeah. There's no hope of transformation. If you know a week from now, despite my best efforts, I'm going to fall into the same sin that I did the week previous. There is zero hope. You know, and that's a great point, Jordan. Where Where's the hope of salvation? Where's the joy of salvation? And when you know that there's no chance, or if you think there's no chance, it's, I was, I was having a conversation the other day, and I'm going to be very broad um, for specific reasons. I was having a conversation, and the person was speaking in such a way that uh, about their walk with God, that it made me wonder what their um, what their personal walk with God looked like. Their treatment of the power of God in their life made it seem like there was nothing that could be done through prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, a great man of God said one time, um, I have it written in the back of another Bible that I have, um, that it should be our prayer that we can move men through prayer alone. That our, our job as ministers is to move humanity by prayer alone. And I think there's great power in that. We t- we've talked about it before. But if you think that there's no hope or there's no chance of perfection in your own life that you can never attain to that one day without sin. Like you said, are you thinking in the, in the spirit or are you thinking in the flesh has carnality overpowered the spirit within you? Do you need to go on a fast? I think the question the answer to that question might be yes. If if you are thinking hopeless thoughts, then the spirit man is not overpowering the carnal, fleshly man. And there's only two things that can solve that problem. It's prayer and fasting. I think our conversation here shows that we agree yeah. that, um, that we can do it. Yeah, And I, for anybody listening, 
Don't let anyone or anything convince you otherwise that you cannot live a righteous and holy life to God. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, you can do it. Yes. And if, not when, but if, you fall short, there is grace. Yes, absolutely. Amen. Amen.